Welcome to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Wargle, the Wisconsin football and men's basketball beat writer for the Rivals.com network. Big show to get to today. A lot of kind of a potpourri of topics that we want to touch on here in our podcast. Men's basketball had an interesting week, certainly, uh, both on the court and off the court. And Wisconsin football is having to replace one of their top offensive weapons heading into the 2021 season. We'll touch on that, too, here in just a little bit. want to start, though, with Wisconsin men's basketball, who did not play Wisconsin basketball, certainly, on Tuesday night. A big matchup, top 10 matchup between Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ann Arbor. A good litmus test for Wisconsin after their double overtime victory over Indiana. And Wisconsin was down by as many as 40 points in the second half. Did not look good in any form or fashion against the Wolverines in what was a 20-plus point blowout uh, on Tuesday night. Usually Wisconsin will fly back to to Madison and lick their wounds for a day or two before flying out to their next game. They did not do that for their Friday night game against Rutgers. Wisconsin spent the night in Ann Arbor and then flew to Piscataway, New Jersey on Wednesday, practice at Rutgers Wednesday and Thursday for their game on Friday. Uh, Budgetary reasons, part of it too, because of revenues being down with no fans in the stands, also more COVID-related as well, kind of keep players isolated on the road. And you would talk to Brad Davison and Micah Potter earlier in the week, from New Jersey, and they said that there's a lot of guys that are ticked off on this trip. There's a lot of guys that are frustrated by what happened uh, at Ann Arbor, and they said that there was a lot of soul-searching going on and that Wisconsin needed to figure out how to fix what was broken on Tuesday. And there was a lot of things that were broken with Wisconsin. There's a lot of things that have been broken over the last several games. Wisconsin has kind of looked like a different team since that big win on Christmas Day at Michigan State. Wisconsin came back from that win and looked very poor against Maryland. Came back on New Year's Eve and dominated Minnesota. And then you have the game against Indiana, the double overtime game, where Indiana probably deserved to win that game. And then obviously Tuesday against Michigan. And there's been some themes that have kind of parlored along here as we've gone on with, with this team. And it's the lack of a consistent third score. You have Demetri Trice, who's playing at an All-American type level here for Wisconsin. You have Micah Potter, who's been very consistent when foul troubles don't get the better of him. Aleem Ford has had his moments, especially in the first half of games. Has started really well. Nate Reavers has not played well in the first half of games. Has played better in the second half, but very inconsistent. Jonathan Davis is a true freshman. He's kind of hit a true freshman wall here the last couple games as the competition has gotten better. You look at other players off the bench. Tyler Wall has done some really good things. Hasn't provided a huge scoring pop, but has done some good things defensively. Uh, Trevor Anderson has been okay for Wisconsin. Not in the scoring department, but kind of handling the point when Demetri Trice needs a break. And you look at Brad Davison, who was 8 for 31 entering this game against Rutgers. Bottom line, and you probably know this by now, is that Wisconsin won the game 60 to 54. It was their first win at Piscataway, New Jersey, at Rutgers since... The Rutgers, Scarlet Knights, joined the Big Ten in 2014-2015. Wisconsin had been 0-3. The Badgers shot just 28.6% in the second half of this game, just 35.2% overall. Wisconsin was out-rebounded 50-35 in this game. They were pasted on the glass 20-8 by Rutgers. Rutgers really did a fine job attacking 
the Lowell Post. And you'll hear from head coach Greg Gard in a little bit. Gard wasn't massively surprised by that because that's what Rutgers likes to do. They like to drive the ball into the paint, be aggressive, and get their points at the paint at the rim. A couple things that stood out, though, was that Wisconsin held Rutgers to just 2 of 19 from three-point range. Wisconsin was 6 of 25, so there's a plus 12-point advantage there. The big one was Rutgers is a bad free-throw shooting team. They were 2 of 7 in this game, 0 for 2 from the line in the second half. Wisconsin, 16 of 21 from the line, 8 of 11 in the second half. Wisconsin also forced 13 turnovers and got 15 points off those turnovers. So you add all those things up, and Wisconsin gets a big road win. However, it's kind of one of those games where you look at and you can be happy that they won, but not really excited about the way in which they did it. You look at the play of the starting lineup where Wisconsin made a move. Greg Gard made a move. He benched Nate Reavers, who had been, like I said, he had been struggling. He had not been playing well. Part of it was because Rutgers had a four-guard lineup and needed Wisconsin needed more mobility with that starting five spot. They needed someone who could handle switches and ball screens a little bit better than Nate Reavers did. So Tyler Wall got the start. It was the first time in, I believe, 79 games that Nate Reavers did not start for Wisconsin. And Nate Reavers, again, didn't play well, just 17 minutes, one of five shooting. Tyler Wall with four points and two of three shooting, but six rebounds, two assists, and did some really nice things defensively. Uh, Wisconsin did a lot of really good things defensively. Rutgers just shot uh, 37.3% in this game. But more than that is the defense on on select individuals. I mentioned Tyler Wall. He was responsible for guarding Geo Baker. And it was really kind of the first time Wall had ever matched up with a player of Baker's skill set. Tall, talented, athletic. And Wall, who, as you remember, has been really undersized for his first two years here, uh, played really well. Held him to eight points on four for 11 shooting. Uh, Demetri Trice had Jacob Young. Young had 15.5 points per game. Young had a game-high 19, but he scored seven of those points when Trice was on the bench for the last five-plus minutes of the first half with foul trouble. And Young just had eight points on four for nine shooting in, in the second half. Uh, Aleem Ford, and I'll get to Aleem here in a little bit. He's the kind of the guy, and this is back to the original point. I kind of went on a little tangent there. Wisconsin needs a, a consistent third score. And Brad Davison has done a lot of really good things for Wisconsin. He's scored a lot of points in some games too, but he's had these huge ebbs and flows, uh, peaks and valleys that the Badgers really need to just kind of rely on him to be that defensive um, minded player, kind of like what Josh Gosford was to a degree. And now Davison did score 14 points in this game, but he had nine points early on and didn't really factor in the rest of the game. He was three for 12 from the field and three for nine from three point range. He got five of his points from the free throw line and he had seven rebounds. So he did a lot of good things in a team high 36 minutes, but you know, missed nine shots, team high nine shots in this game. Uh, Aleem Ford has played very well. He's been a fairly consistent double figure player here over the last several weeks. And he had 14 in this game, but he did it without making a three point field goal. And that's the most encouraging thing for me to see out of the growth of Aleem Ford, because Ford was able to attack consistently in this game, using the pump fakes to get Rutgers players in the air and air and then attacking the rim. He was five for nine on his two point shots and made a lot of momentum building plays around the rim. For those that watched the game, you might remember uh, early when Rutgers was tra- uh, cut the lead to 1916. Ford jumped in the passing lane to get a steal on the opposite end. 
uh, faked the three-point shot, uh, drove between two defenders, and delivered the hoop with the foul for a three-point play. It was a very kind of eye-opening play because it's not something you usually see from Malim Ford. Uh, later was when Rutgers cut the lead to 27-22. Ford again pump faked a deep dump, jump shot from the corner, drove baseline past two players, and did a hanging reverse layup. Those are plays that you like to see seniors make. And Ford certainly is that talented, tall, athletic 3-4 uh, player that can make those plays. He just has been one of those guys that has typically just felt comfortable, you know, catching and shooting from the perimeter. This was positive. And also six rebounds, a career-high four blocks, two steals, and no turnovers in 34 minutes. And Brad Davidson said it best. Aleem Ford, who came in very raw, very uncertain. Uh, he was kind of a, I don't want to say a package deal with Demetri Trice, but Wisconsin saw Aleem Ford because they went to recruit Demetri Trice. Ford has grown into a bigger, faster, stronger, confident basketball player. And when he's aggressive and he's getting things going, it's a huge boost for this team. He's kind of being that consistent number three scorer for Wisconsin. That's what the Badgers need because this team with all the experience on it, has that versatility where four or five players can reach double figures or one player can really carry the team and the rest kind of fall in line. For the As of late, it's been Demetri Trice, who has been on you know this 20-point binge. He's playing like a first-team All-American here over the course of the last several games. And you kind of saw it a little bit in this game, too, where Wisconsin really didn't have anyone carry the load for an entire game. They each kind of handed the baton off to the next person. Davison had nine points in the first 503. Then Ford took over for a stretch. Then Tyler Wall got a couple early buckets in the second half. Then Ford again around the midway point. Then Demetri Trice got hot uh, to push that lead up to 10 points with about four plus remaining. You know, the 13 points Trice scored was the fewest he has scored in his last six games. But he had eight points in a five-possession span on a 12-0 run in the second half. And with the way Wisconsin was playing defense, that was a huge moment for this team. So you look at the good things in this game is that defense, Wisconsin was on point. Togetherness, I think that a lot of things that maybe were brewing uh, underneath the surface kind of came to a head against Michigan. And a lot of things were talked out on the road over the course of 72 hours in New Jersey. The rebounding, though, is the big thing. And I said this after the, the Michigan game in my five takeaways for Badger Blitz subscribers. UW is not a good post-defense team right now. And it's surprising considering how many years Micah Potter has played in the Big Ten, and especially Nate Reavers, who has started a lot of games and played a lot of games in Wisconsin's system. How badly Wisconsin typically just gets slaughtered at the rim. Maryland scored a lot of points in the paint in their victory. Minnesota had had a lot of offensive rebounds that they weren't able to convert in that loss. You look at Indiana. Indiana took a huge advantage of Wisconsin through the first 35 minutes of that double overtime loss. And Wisconsin was able to clean things up that last, you know, five minutes of regulation, 10 of overtime. And then the Michigan game where Michigan just absolutely pounded the ball in the low post and Wisconsin was powerless to stop it. Rutgers, kind of the same thing. Like I said, out-rebounded by 15, 20 offensive rebounds. But the big thing, too, that is a concern for me, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen it, too, is that Wisconsin gets so jump-shot happy at times where they forget to touch the post, they forget to work inside-out, and it just absolutely kills them. I mean, you look at the second half, 9 of UW's 13 
first 13 shots after halftime were from three-point range. They only made one of them. They were one of nine, and that caused a stretch of no field goals for nearly eight minutes. Now, Wisconsin's first points in the paint in the second half didn't come until there was 8-18 remaining, and the Badgers scored just six points in the lane in the second half. That can't happen for any team, especially a Wisconsin team that lives on setting up the post because if you figure out how to establish the post and you touch the post inside and you get the defense to collapse on you, that's going to open up opportunities for your three-point shooters. And we know Wisconsin's got a lot of three-point shooters. We know Davison can shoot from three, Trice, Potter, all these guys. And so the fact that Wisconsin just gets in this rhythm where they just jump shot after jump shot without touching the post, it's been a theme here. And it's got Wisconsin into a lot of trouble, especially when they're playing from ahead. I mean, the Maryland game sticks out, and Wisconsin had a lead in the second half. Uh, the the Indiana game, Wisconsin kind of had a lead in the second half, wasn't able to build on it. And then this game, certainly, where Wisconsin wasn't shooting the ball well. However, to beat Rutgers, you need to play tough, physical, gritty, and you need to just be able to scratch out enough plays to get on the right-hand side. Wisconsin, in their three previous games, had not done that. They had not shot the three-point ball well, and they had gotten killed in the paint, and they allowed someone on Rutgers to score at least 20 points. Happened four times in their three losses. Didn't happen in this game, just held Young to 19 points. Still, the defense is what Wisconsin is going to rely on all season long. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to really look that great at times, but it's been the calling card for Wisconsin, and it was able to get the job done to kind of maybe take people away from the ledge a little bit. I think a lot of people saw what Michigan did to them and thought, man, Rutgers plays virtually the same way. They're aggressive. They get in your face. They're going to be physical. This doesn't bode well for the Badgers. And Wisconsin just was able to claw enough uh, quality plays late. They made a lot of free throws late, too, that last 30 seconds to distance themselves from Rutgers down the stretch. Here's head coach Greg Gard after the game talking about the victory. Greg, you guys had that stretch in the second half where you guys really buckled down defensively. What was the key there, did you think? Well, we were able to keep the ball out of the paint. Um, for the most part, forcing them into some tougher shots. Um, you know, we were able to get a little momentum going to ourselves, and I think we stretched it to 10. So, um, you know, we were doing a better, a little better job. You know, Jacob Young is so hard to handle in ball screens. Um, they do such a good job of moving him around, and obviously you got to worry about Geo Baker and Harper. And, um, you know, it's an explosive team that can, if you give them some cracks, they can really, they can really hurt you. But I thought we did a good job of, trying to shrink the floor as much as possible and, and make, uh, you know, force them into some tougher shots, which we were able to do. Greg, I know you got contributions from a lot of guys, but can you address what Trice did in the second half? He didn't really look for his shot, although he got in foul trouble in the first half, but it seemed like he sensed when he had to kind of take over on offense for you a little bit. Yeah, he did. He had some big shots there uh, as we were able to stretch out that lead to 10. Um you know, was able to get into some ball screen situations. We had a couple little uh, things we ran for him as well out of timeouts. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he picked the right spots to be able to. I know he had a tough assignment with trying to contain Young. Um, that was a lot. And, um, you know, obviously, and teammates were doing some decent jobs. You know, we were able to flow through the first half other than how we finished in the last couple possessions with two turnovers. Um, obviously, he's sitting on the bench, so that didn't help us. But, uh you know, I, it was good for him to step up at the right time, which, you know, senior point guards, good ones tend to do that. 
Greg, 42 of Rutgers' 54 points came from in the paint, and I know that's kind of been a trend over the past couple games or so. What do you think you guys are doing there that's kind of allowing teams to get in the paint, and where could you guys kind of improve there? They're, they're hard to keep out of the paint. I mean, you look at any box score, um, you probably haven't watched them play, right, Josh? Before tonight. Okay, so everybody has a hard time keeping them out of the paint. That's what that's their attack point. They, they get it to the bigs. They try to drive it uh, with all three perimeter guys. So it's, um, you know, you're trying to not put them at the free throw line. You're trying to keep them off the glass and force into tough shots, which we were able to do a lot, um, you know, and obviously able to contest some threes. But they're, they're a handful to keep out of the paint. Always have been. Um, and just because they get you moving around. And, um, and like I said, Jacob Young is is – as quick, and I've seen a lot, almost everybody they play try to handle him in ball screens and do everything on planet Earth to try to contain him, and he's he's a load. I mean, he's so quick and so shifty. Um, you know, he gets you spun in a lot of ways, so it's it's hard. It's, it's credit to them because those uh, those guards are good. I believe Ford had some big baskets tonight, but on the other end of the court, I thought he was really good, too. I mean, he, he was on Harper most of the night. What did you think of the job he did on Harper? Yeah, I thought I thought he did do a good job. Um, you know, I thought he rebounded well. Obviously, he had some big shots for us as as well. And I thought Tyler was good on Baker too. You know, that's the really the first time he's guarded a guy like that and guarded Geo. And he's got a little, um, you know, he, he can put you in some predict uh, some tough positions in terms of how he plays with the ball. So I thought both those guys, you know, did a did a good job defensively. And really, it was such a an effort in a scrap game. I mean, everybody that played got on the floor tonight. The eight guys that played. Um, you know, the energy and the grit and the togetherness, um, I, I thought was, it's what it takes to, to win against Rutgers. You've got to, you've got to play exceptionally hard. Um, and it's not always going to be pretty. It may not going to look good on the stat sheet and areas, but there's a, you, know, you got to try to match how hard and, and aggressive and gritty they are. Yeah, Greg, you mentioned Tyler's defense. Is that why you made the change in the starting lineup going with Tyler to Nate to match up with them defensively? Yeah. Yeah, that we had to put. I had to have mobility on Harper because we were going to have to do some some switching with some things uh, with ball screens and things like that. So um, it gave us some you know, the flexibility to be able to do that and, and stay a little more mobile on uh, the fact that they play you know really four guards if you count Har- Harper as a guard. All right, when you guys played Maryland, uh, Mark Turgeon was saying that you know he. He had played. They had played at Purdue on Christmas Day and didn't go home in between, and he wasn't real thrilled about that. But he actually thought it was a good thing in the long run to kind of have that time in the hotel togetherness. Did you think that had the same effect this week? Did you get any bonding there? Was there any productivity with that? Well, I mean, I mean, it, it wasn't the pleasant, most pleasant two days. I'll tell you that because there was a lot of people that weren't in good moods. Um, most everybody that's been on the on the travel party was not in a good mood after after the other night, Tuesday night, but you know, it's, um, yeah, we were able to get here, um, Wednesday and practice here Wednesday and practice again yesterday. Um, and you know, it, it's such an odd time because of all the COVID protocols. We don't do the things on the road that typically we do. We eat individually, you grab your food and go back to your room. Uh, we don't do the team building things at times we've done on the, on the road. So we don't have the same, same impact that a road trip like this would have in normal times. Um, but I, I think it was. I think it was good for us to, to, you know, at least that's what we intended it to be. Not that we intended to, to get beat on Tuesday night, but um, we wanted to use these two days to improve on some things and grow as a team 
and and it was only going to matter if we came out and, and uh, played the way we needed to play tonight. And I'm proud of the guys of, of how they did that. That's Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard. And the Badgers are sitting in okay shape. We're seven games in, not even at the halfway point yet of the Big Ten play. Wisconsin is 11-3. They're alone in third place in the Big Ten, 5-2. They're a game behind Michigan, which got crushed against Minnesota on Saturday. And they are just a half game behind Iowa at 5-1. and one. Wisconsin has a, a game against Northwestern here on Wednesday at home, and then they have a home game against Ohio State. Northwestern uh, really struggling. They've lost four in a row at the time of this recording here on Saturday night. And, you know, I think uh, Demetri Trice's dad posted on Twitter, it's the Big Ten. Upsets are going to happen. No one is going to cruise through this league this year. The league is too darn good. And we saw that where Minnesota just absolutely – just killed Michigan 75-57 um, up at the barn. And Ohio State 87-81 over number 14, Illinois. Illinois has had some weird losses this year. And uh, Illinois head coach Brad Underwood said that they played, they practiced like a high school JV team this week. So kind of, you know, interesting words there uh, from Underwood. Uh, both those teams are 5-3 uh, and three now in the Big Ten. Uh, you look at Purdue's at 4-3, and three, Minnesota's at 4-4. Four and four. Indiana, Northwestern, three and four. Rutgers, three and five. Michigan State at two and four. Maryland, two and five. Penn State, zero oh and three. Uh, they've been paused a little bit because of COVID. And Nebraska also paused because of COVID. They are zero oh and five. So, a lot of basketball left to be played. And just remember where Wisconsin was a year ago uh, at the halfway point. They were three games back in the Big Ten standings. They were in seventh place, and they have played a share of the league. But Wisconsin has to figure out what their identity is going to be on defense on the interior. Can they get tough enough to stop some of these teams from just driving in the lane consistently and taking advantage of them? Can they get stronger on the glass? Can they get angrier on the on the glass? And can someone other than Dimitri Trice and Micah Potter carry this team offensively? My money's on a lean forward, but it'd be nice to see Brad Davison start to play a little better. It'd be nice if Nate Reavers can contribute in two halves of basketball instead of kind of being a liability here early for Wisconsin. A lot of basketball left to be played. A nice little break here for Wisconsin before they get Northwestern on Wednesday. You're listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. One other piece of basketball news uh, to share with you. Wisconsin got another commitment for their 2021 class in Marcus Ilver, I-L-V-E-R, Ilver, who is originally from uh, Estonia, and he played in high school basketball in Ohio. He committed uh, over scholarship offers in East Carolina, James Madison, Marshall, Nebraska, Toledo, Utah, and Xavier. He's playing uh, in uh, Ohio right now. He's 6'8", 205 pounds, and Wisconsin has kind of been, uh, from what we can gather, monitoring him a little bit over the course of the last uh, several weeks and months. Uh, Sam Decker tweeted out after this commitment that he uh, got to meet him and play with him at Latvia, in Eastern Europe at a basketball without borders camp. I was really impressed by him too. So, uh, you know, Marcus uh, cannot sign until the spring. So we'll hear more from head coach Greg Gard uh, during the spring uh, signing period goes with um, Matthew Morris and Chucky Hepburn and Chris Hodges in this class. So uh, Wisconsin is going to have a uh, foreign player uh, in their 2021 class. Be interesting. What, 2022 is going to look like with Wisconsin because uh, players like Brad Davison and Nate Reavers and Micah Potter and Demetri Trice 
uh, and Trevor Anderson can all return uh, next season for Wisconsin. This is like a free year of eligibility. And since I can't see any one of those players being an NBA pick, perhaps we will see uh, a good portion of them back. I could see potentially uh, Mike Potter moving on, trying to play professionally somewhere. He's engaged, and I don't know when his wedding is. Dimitri Trice has a great skill set, and the way he's playing, maybe his stock may never be higher at the end of the year, then maybe he will make a jump towards the NBA. But I can see a guy like Brad Davison returning. I can see like a Nate Reavers returning to Wisconsin and a lean forward. So who knows what the 2021-22 outlook is going to look like. Who knows what next month is going to look like, for heaven's sakes, with what's all things going on in our country, let alone in the world of college sports. But Wisconsin has another commitment. And, you know, Greg Gard said back in November that they're going to continue to recruit. There's a lot of unknowns with how things are going to play out. And you watch the highlight tape of Marcus Oliver, uh, impressive player, uh, has a lot of good skill set that probably will translate well to Wisconsin. Transitioning now to football, as Wisconsin basketball adds a player, Wisconsin football is losing a player. And Garrett Groshek, Groshek announced on Saturday, uh, actually uh, Scott Williams of the Stevens Point Journal tweeted it and Garrett Groshek retweeted it. So it's basically Groshek saying it, that he will not return uh, for a sixth season at Wisconsin or fifth season of eligibility in terms of being on the field. He will enter the 2021 NFL draft. Not a huge surprise, even though some people took it that way. Uh, Garrett Groshek just graduated uh, this past year. He just got married last offseason and the shelf life of NFL running backs is short. Not quite sure where Groshek is going to fit in, but you know, he kind of did everything well for Wisconsin. 47 career games played, two-time team captain, and likely the best all-around tailback on the roster. He could uh, run the ball effectively, he could catch the ball effectively, and he could really block effectively. He was the team leader in all-purpose yards this past season, 419, scored two touchdowns, uh, caught at least four passes in four games, and his 300 rushing yards was just one yard behind team leader Jalen Berger. Uh, Groshek was the only running back to break 100 yards this season. He had 154 uh, rushing yards in that overtime victory against Minnesota for Wisconsin. Uh, over the course of the last several uh, days and weeks, I've kind of been putting a capper on the 2020 regular season. Uh, for those that have not seen it, um, the, the series wraps up on Sunday, uh, probably when you're listening to this with Wisconsin safeties. And I thought I would just kind of run through them a little bit, kind of give you what my opinions are and kind of rank the groups from, from best, uh, best, most impressive to worst or least impressive. Don't like using best and worst. Let's just use most impressive and least impressive. Not going to talk about the special teams uh, in this series. The special teams kind of are unique unto their own, but special teams without question needs to improve. Chris Herring needs to earn that paycheck. Uh, he's kind of stealing money here a little bit with this roster. Uh, these players, um, the coverage units were kind of iffy this past season. Wisconsin needs to punt better and they certainly need uh, to kick better in terms of having the ability to have longer range field goals moving forward. But anyways, you look at the best unit on the team and without question, in my opinion, it was the linebackers and hyping it outside linebackers and inside linebackers. I think the, 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 the emergence of Nick Herbig this past year was easily the best story to come out of the outside linebackers. I thought that Herbig from kind of where he started against Illinois, didn't play very well, missed some tackles, uh, dropped a pick six, uh, you know, maybe some nerves in that game. He was exceptional this season as a true freshman. I think that his growth 
is off the charts. And to go in next season with both Noah Burks, who's going to return, and Nick Herbig, that's a good kind of nucleus for Wisconsin. That's because over the last five years, Wisconsin's had to replace an outside linebacker, at least one starter, each and every year. There's been Andrew Van Ginkle, Leon Jacobs, Garrett Groshek, not Garrett Groshek, uh, Zach Bond. There's been uh, you know Vince Beagle. There's been a number of players, TJ Watt. There's been a number of players that Wisconsin's had to, uh, Garrett Dooley. I was thinking Garrett Groshek, Garrett Dooley. And now Wisconsin can go into next season with both starters prepared to play, and that can allow them to kind of build their depth. I think the, the low point for me of outside linebackers was Isaiah Green May getting hurt again. Um, you know, we've heard so much stories about him having this great potential, and he just continues to get hurt and banged up that it's just come to the point now where it's hard to count on Isaiah Green May being able to contribute because he's always been injured. Kind of the same thing with inside linebacker this year. There really was no weak point with inside linebacker because Leo Chanel and uh, Jack Sample were just so darn good this season working together. They both led the team in tackles first and second. They were able to get in the backfield with consistency. It was just a really strong core group. And really the only negative was that Mike Mascalunas got hurt and was banged up at times. And that really uh, could be that solid number three linebacker for all seven games for Wisconsin. But Mascalunas is returning. Jack Samward's returning. All four starting linebackers are going to be returning Wisconsin I think that's going to be a really solid core group to build upon and that's secondary too and I think secondary is that next you know grouping of players that were really good uh, Scott Nelson I thought had a really nice season I thought Eric Burrell had a really good year and there's depth at safety with Colin Wilder who I think can easily slide over to the other safety spot and take over for well for where Burrell played it will also be interesting with Reggie Pearson, who wasn't medically cleared this past year, will Pearson be able to get back on the field for Wisconsin in 2021? The cornerbacks with the Badgers, Fan Hicks and Caesar Williams, I thought were were good this year. Not great, I thought they were good, and I think that Wisconsin had some some decent depth at that spot too. With Dante Burton, uh, Alex Smith played a lot late in the season. Deron Harrell, the same thing, and the fact that. Uh, Fan Hicks is going to return. Still don't know about Caesar Williams, but to have Fan Hicks back, it allows Jim Laird to kind of build up some depth with Dante Burton to get Samar Melvin back. Samar Melvin missed a lot of time this past season because of injury to kind of build up some of that young talent at that cornerback spot. So if Caesar Williams does decide to go pro and not return in 2021, or even if he does return for that 2022 season, to kind of get a good foundation of a core group of players who can step in for both Williams and Hicks moving into um, that into the future. So the back end of the defense looks really good. Uh, I think next, though, instead of going to the defensive line spot, I want to go to the offensive line. I thought the offensive line did a lot of really good things this past season. And the reason I'm kind of picking the offensive line over the defensive line is, is I think the future of the offensive line looks a little bit brighter than the defensive line, and I'll explain here in a minute. Uh, the offensive line had a lot of different combinations this past season that they never really were able to get extremely consistent. And certainly the low point of the season was the game against Iowa where Cole Van Lan was taken to the woodshed uh, by, uh, by, by, by Chauncey Golston. It'll be interesting to see how much of that uh, tape from the Iowa game uh, NFL scouts and executives are going to ask Van Lan about uh, over the course of the next several months. But I think John Dietzen returning was a huge story for Wisconsin to get Dietzen back and to kind of fill that 
that void at the guard spot uh, with the losses of both David Mormon and Jason Ehrman off the 2019 team was going to be huge for offensive coordinator, offensive line coach Joe Rudolph. And the fact that Dietzen was able to move throughout the offensive line was a huge bonus. I mean, he started the season at right guard. Then he moved to left guard for the next four games. And then when Van Lam missed the last two games, he moved to left tackle. And he played really well. I thought he was really consistent. And it was good to see Dietzen back and playing well. I know that him not playing last year and having to leave because of injuries was kind of a stinger for him. But for him to be able to come back and play and play at a high level, I think was one of the, the really nice bright spots of, of the team this past season. And you look at the line into next season. You're not going to have Van Land, and Dietzen is probably headed back into retirement. This could be the time where Logan Brown is going to make his mark at left tackle. Brown stepped in for Dietzen in the bowl game and performed well, okay, in his 38 snaps. And I think that sets a good base for him to take over at, at the left tackle spot full-time moving into next season. Josh Seltzner will probably be the left guard after finishing the season with the second-best pass-blocking grade on the team of those that played 100 snaps. Uh, right guard Logan Bruss was tops. Bruss did not play in the bowl game. He will be back, and I think that him sliding in a right guard is going to be good because with the, all the injuries, Tyler Beach got to start the last six games at right tackle, and he showed a lot of qualities that NFL lineman needs to have. Now he has 34 games under his belt. So to have Seltzner and Brown on one side and to have Beach and Bruss on the other side, that's a positive for Wisconsin. And Caden Lyles hopefully returning at full strength at the center spot. This is a really strong offensive line moving forward. And all the injuries kind of got Wisconsin into their depth a little bit. Cormac Sampson got some time at the center spot, started the bowl game. Uh, you know, Tanner Bordellini stepped in against the Hoosiers and against Iowa once Lyles was out and Sampson was out. Uh, you know, Joe Tipman, if he's healthy, he's going to be important for Wisconsin depth-wise. You know, Michael Furtney got his first career start in the bowl game. And then there's a really good crop of young linemen that are going to benefit from spring football. Guys like, you know, rivals four-star lineman Jack Nelson. So the offensive line depth is is a real positive here moving forward. And for me, that just nearly beats out the defensive line. I thought the defensive line was exceptionally well, played exceptionally well this past season. Both Isaiah Laudermilk and Garrett Rand did a great job staying the edge, and Keanu Benton uh, up in the middle. Uh, the Badgers finished 96.1 rushing yards allowed. That was the top mark in the Big Ten and the fifth best mark nationally. The Badgers allowed just one rush over 31 yards all season. They held three straight opponents under 100 team rushing yards, and only two players broke 100 yards in seven games, and only two touchdowns on the ground for Wisconsin all season, both coming in the fourth quarter that had no impact on the final score. Keanu Bennett will return in the middle. That is a positive. But who's going to play on both end spots for Wisconsin? Isaiah Laramoke is off to the draft. Garrett Rand is retiring from football because of injuries. You look at Boyd Dietzen and Isaiah Mullins, a couple of juniors. Could they step in? Sophomores, Rod Rodas Johnson, Cade McDonald, uh, Gio Paz, uh, the, the McDonald and, and Gio, 27 combined snaps in the bowl game. So this will be important for Wisconsin to kind of find that other defensive end spot. I think Matt Henson... Uh, who missed most of the season with a left arm injury, will occupy one of those spots. He has 15 career starts. But 
Wisconsin's likely going to have a new defensive line coach this next season. Uh, Anoki Brechtefield is off to Vanderbilt, uh, where he is uh, has a tie to the new head coach there. So Wisconsin has to hire a new defensive line coach. What kind of unit will that new coach bring? What kind of scheme will that new coach bring? Probably similar. Uh, I can't imagine that they're going to go to a, a, a 4-3 or anything like that. But I'm just saying, what will that new coach teach and how will it impact these players. So that's going to be one spot to really watch for in the spring. Next, after the defensive line, uh, it's kind of a toss-up between the, the four positions I haven't talked about. I'm going to give uh, next to, to Graham Mertz. I think Graham really kind of had the ups and downs that you would expect from a redshirt freshman. He's not the Ayatollah yet. He's not the savior yet for this team, but did a lot of things that make you feel good about where he's at. I think that him ending the season on a positive note in the bowl game is a good thing. Um, to have that start that he did against Illinois is a huge positive, something to build upon going forward. The key will be the weapons around him. And to have Jake Ferguson back for another season is huge. Ferguson was, without question, the team's most reliable offensive weapon. Uh, he caught a pass in every game this past season. He played 444 snaps. That was second only to Mertz. It led the team in catches, yards, and receiving touchdowns. And the fact that no one really beyond Ferguson has stepped up from a tight end receiving standpoint, to me, is a little bit concerning. And that's why Ferguson coming back is so important for this team. Uh, Hayden Rucci played 174 snaps. He graded out okay, but he didn't catch a pass uh, this whole season. You know, Jake Eschenbach recorded only three targets with two catches. Gabe Lloyd and Jalen Franklin didn't really figure much into the game plan. So what's the future at that position for Wisconsin? Well, thankfully, Mickey Turner doesn't have to figure that out yet uh, because he has Ferguson back another year. But yeah, if I'm Wisconsin, I'm wrapping Jake Ferguson and bubble wrap, and I'm sticking him in the storage closet and, until the fall, and, and try to figure out what exactly I have here at these other uh, at these other tight end uh, spots that I can maybe utilize and expand the game plan a little bit. Because quite a bit this past season, Mertz would start games with those simple checkdowns, those easy passes to the flat or across the middle to his running back or to his tight end or to his fullback, and to have those as available to Mertz will help open up other options within the offense. Uh, next, you look at the running back spot. I mentioned Groshek earlier. I think Jalen Berger is primed to uh, be a star at Wisconsin. Did a lot of really good things. I know that COVID kind of knocked him out for a bunch, and you know, it was hard to get momentum this past season. But Berger led the team in rushing. Uh, Wisconsin uh, had uh, 164.2 yards per game. That was set 60 second nationally so not that great but you know Wisconsin played some really good defenses Iowa was top 10 Indiana Northwestern were top 50 but you know Berger had 87 rushing yards in three games including eight um, almost 100 yards against uh, uh, Indiana so did some really nice things that I think Wisconsin uh, can see him building upon here uh, moving forward uh also, to the fullbacks, too, I think John Chanel, even though Mason Stokey's going uh, professional, I think Wisconsin is going to be really happy with what Je John Chanel is going to bring to that fullback group. And last, uh, least impressive to me, uh, was the wide receiver group, uh, mainly not because of Jack Dunn. I think Jack Dunn did as much as he possibly could do uh, with his skill set and with his ability. And that's put it, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, 
Jack Sanborn, the inside linebacker, referred to him as Wisconsin's Julian Edelman. Uh, done at 5'7", second on the team in catches, 28 for 255, and averaged 42.5 yards per game. Dunn comes in, he works, he had at least three catches in all six games he played, had a bigger role down the stretch. He was a really good player for Graham Mertz and Wisconsin. The problem is he should not be the team's leading receiver. He's more of that number three option. And the fact that Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor could not stay healthy this season hurt Wisconsin, and it hurt him badly in a lot of games. Kendrick Pryor's coming back. We don't know about Danny Davis yet. The fact that Wisconsin doesn't have depth at wide receiver has to be a huge concern moving forward. Uh, that's not anything outlandish that I'm saying. You look at the lack of development over the course of the last several years, it's glaring. And it was glaring because you saw it what Wisconsin was without Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. They were a shell of themselves. A.J. Abbott and Taj Mustafa, uh, both in their third years in the program, haven't really taking that step forward that Wisconsin needs them to yet. Uh, you look at Chimri DK and Devin Chandler and Stephen Bracey, all good players, but they're all extremely young players. They're still growing uh, with themselves and in an offense, and they weren't able to be counted upon in those type of situations yet. So spring is critical for Wisconsin to develop depth at wide receiver, develop depth along the defensive line, Figure out their special teams. Try to get that unit to click a little bit more and see some steps forward. See some steps forward from Graham Mertz. See some steps forward from Jalen Berger, from the depth in the running back room. I think this spring will be a huge point for Isaac Garendo and Julius Davis in the running back room. What can those two bring? Because now Nakia Watson's not with the program either. So Wisconsin's going to be without their two, uh, two of their top running backs entering next season. There's going to be plenty of carries to be had behind Jalen Berger. But that's going to be a conversation for down the road when we get more into spring football previews. But that's my 2020 kind of recap of the Wisconsin football team. You can read all those stories on BadgerBlitz.com. For all the latest on Wisconsin football, basketball, and recruiting, log on to BadgerBlitz.com. Follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation and follow us on Twitter at Badger underscore Blitz. We will talk to you next week. Have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you for listening, as always, to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.